assurance tonight as we uh, spend time in God's Word. Thank you, Brother Scott, for that great uh, thought tonight. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Mark chapter 15. Two portions tonight. Mark chapter 15, verse number 39, and then Matthew chapter 27. So you can put a little marker there in Matthew chapter 27. But we're going to be looking, first of all, in Mark Mark chapter 15 and verse 39. Mark 15, verse 39. Let's all stand once again as we read God's word just to show honor and uh, respect for the word of God. Mark chapter 15, verse number 39. It says, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Look at Matthew chapter number 27 and verse 54. Matthew 27, verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the impact of the Word of God. And Lord, we thank you for uh, what you have shown us and the power that is uh, displayed by you through the Word of God. And Lord, what you've done in the past, you can still do in the present. Father, you're not limited by anything that, that we see today. Father, your power, your might, all things are able and possible with you. Father, tonight I pray that you would enlighten our eyes, help us, Lord, as we understand thy scriptures. By thy spirit, may he teach us and guide us, lead us into all truth. And Father, once again this evening, I pray, Father, that you'd give me your words. May it go forth in power and in demonstration of thy spirit, that our confidence in our Christian life would, would not be in men, but would be in you. And Father, we thank you so much tonight for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, it requires a lot of evidence before some people will believe. The state of Missouri, for example, is a show-me state. You show me, and then I'll believe. There are others who, though, they, though you show them all sorts of evidence, they still will not believe. There was a man when I was out soul winning. Uh, I asked him if he knew for sure that he was on his way to heaven. And he said, well, no. And so I went, started going through the the plan of salvation and sharing the, the fact that according to the Bible, the Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I was going through those things. He said, well, wait a minute. I don't know whether I can believe the, God, the, the Bible, what the Bible has to say, because it was written of men. So for the next half an hour, I began to share with him the uniqueness of the Word of God and how that it was written on three different continents, that it was written over a period of four, uh, 1,400 years by 40-plus men. And I gave him different prophecies, how that they were, that they, uh, that they had, God had prophesied and it was fulfilled exactly how God said. And then I went through all these different things that, you know, the first, the first book to be translated from one language into another language and, and uh, just all these different things. And uh, so the once I got done with all of that, I answered all of his questions and I said, now, would you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your savior? And he said, no. I said, well, what is it that's holding you back from believing in Jesus Christ? He says, well, nothing. 
I said, so wouldn't you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior? He says, no. And so as we kept on talking, he was, I could see he wasn't going to get saved. Uh, it, my responsibility is to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ and to present the gospel and, I believe, as much as possible, give the gospel all that we can and, if possible, to encourage them to respond to the gospel and, and give them that invitation. But, folks, it's not my part to save a person. It's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to save a person. Uh, that he's the only one who can. But what I can do is I can share the gospel, give them an opportunity to respond, and uh, even though he had all this evidence, he had all of his questions answered, uh, he still did not want to receive Jesus Christ. But may I share with you, there are still others who that once they've examined the evidence, they're willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to believe the truth. Such is the case of Mark chapter 15, verse number 39. A Roman soldier saw and heard the Lord Jesus Christ and it resulted in him coming to the conclusion that this was the Son of God. That this was the Son of God. So what was it that made such an impact on this man's heart that he came to this conclusion? The title of the message tonight is this, What Will It Take Before You Believe in Jesus? And I think one of the things as we kind of go through this, it'll help us as we witness, as we testify to other people about the, the uh, person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to consider three main points uh, actually, one of the three main points. We're going to see one tonight and, and the next two next, next week. But we're going to consider uh, three main points uh, in this, in this uh, message, the entirety of the message. First of all, he saw. Notice, he saw, then he heard, and then he believed. He saw. So it says here in verse number 39 of Mark chapter 15, and it says once again, And when the centurion which stood over against him, talking of Jesus, saw that he had cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. So now let's just consider, if you would for a moment, the background of what's going on. Jesus Christ has, has uh, gone through a mock trial with the high priest, and then they took him uh, to Pilate and to Herod, and uh, Pilate uh, said, you know what, I found no fault in him. There was nothing worthy of death. And so, uh, the, but the chief priests had swayed the people and, and, uh, to demand that Jesus be crucified. And Pilate was a people pleaser. He wanted to please the people. In fact, Pilate even had a, he had a wife that tried to warn him not to, to uh, have anything to do with Jesus and putting him to death. Uh, his, his wife came to Pilate and he says, Hey, uh, honey, you know what? Last night I had a dream. And uh, in that dream, I'm telling you, uh, I was told, you know, have nothing to do with putting this man. He wouldn't listen to his wife. Guys, can I tell you, it would, you do well to listen to your wife. I'm not saying uh, that, that all the time that we're all right, whether men or women, but may I share with you that we have input, and, you know, God uses different individuals to get our attention. And here, Pilate's wife was even trying to tell him, hey, don't, and, but you know what? Hey, I'm in charge. You can't tell me anything. And that's where Pilate was. He was trying to please the people, so he had him scourged. And then uh, he, he uh, had him to go and be crucified. And Jesus was taken to Golgotha, where he's crucified between two thieves. A Roman soldier 
was there overseeing the cru crucifixion. He was a centurion. He, that, the, the centurion is the idea of century, a hundred. There was a hundred men that were under this man. This man had the responsibility of seeing that Jesus Christ was crucified. He had the, the responsibility of making sure it was done the right way. Now go to Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54 for a second. In fact, we want to go over there and just for a, kind of spend some time in this portion. Matthew chapter 27, it's a, par a parallel passage. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 54. And it says here in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 54. Get there. It says, now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying truly, this was the Son of God. What did that centurion uh, see during the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which led him to believe that truly this was the Son of God. He said, well, it says here it was the, uh, it was the, the, the earthquake. That was a part, of, as we're going to see. But I submit to you, there, he was there from that whole time period watching Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus. And so, uh, you know, it says, they, it says the centurion watched Jesus. Look what it says, verse number 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus, they were watching. They were watching him being put to death. You know, death is not the end of all things, as some people think. Uh, people don't always act the same way when they're at the end of their life. Some look back at their life as a misspent life. And they look back and they live, they, they have a time of regret. And they say, well, I wish I would have done this and this and this in my life. As they're coming to that point, I've, I've been with people as they come to that last point of their, of their life. And they say, I wish I'd have made this choice and I wish I'd have done something different. Some, back, uh, some look at that misspent life. They lived, uh, they have a life of regret and sadness. If only I would have done things differently. For others... As they come to the last of their life, they start blaming others. God, it's your fault that I am where I am today. It's your fault. If you would, I would not be in this, in this bed of affliction. If it had not been for you, it's your fault. Well, I submit to you, it's not God's fault. May I share with you, the wages of sin is death. And I submit to you tonight as we stop and think about it, the suffering and the pain, if you go back to Genesis, you find that that is a result of sin coming into the world, and we're sinners. And as we stop and think, people many times, they blame God, they find fault with God, or they blame relatives, or they blame friends. If you've ever been with people at those times, many times they start blaming people. It's, it's your fault for what you've done, and your fault for, for uh, not taking good care of you, and all, all this type of blame goes around. Sometimes they blame the church for not helping them. Do you go to church? No, I don't go to church. Have you ever gone to church? No, I don't go. To, I, I go. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a biannual bi person. I go on Easter and Christmas. But they should have been here to help me. Well, we can blame others at those times. For still others, it's a time of fear at death, fear of the unknown. For the lost, 
Those without Jesus, the Bible declares that hell awaits them, Hebrews 9, 27, as it's appointed men once to die, and after this, the judgment. For the unsaved person, in Ephesians 3, 12, it says, or 2, 12, it, there's no hope. It says that at that time, uh, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know, without Jesus, there is no hope. There's no hope of heaven. The centurion saw Jesus as he was dying on the cross. He saw these, uh, these he, excuse me, he saw uh, how these people were responding. Uh, for the lost, there's no hope, but for the Christian, there is hope. And here is, he's watching Jesus die. He didn't see a person who was without hope. He didn't see a person who was blaming others. He, wasn't, he didn't see a person who was railing on others like they were railing on him. He saw the hatred that other folk had for Jesus. How they reviled and mocked him and his response toward them. Look at chapter 27, verse number 39. Now, he's watching Jesus dying on the cross. And look here at this portion of Scripture, verse number 39. And they that passed by reviled, uh, by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou, he's talking to Jesus, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. And if thou be the Son of God, come down from the, from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him uh, with the scribes and the elders, saying, He saved others. Himself he cannot say, if he be the, the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Can I tell you something? That's mocking the Lord. And can I tell you something else? If he had come down off that cross, they still wouldn't have believed. They wouldn't. It's a matter of their will. They were not willing. Their eyes were blinded. He said he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. He, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves, notice, thieves, plural, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Hey, here's a centurion. He's watching how these people are responding to Jesus. He's seeing the hatred. So what was Jesus' response to those people? Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 20. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 20. It says, For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps who did no sin. Jesus was sinless. He did no sin. The whole life of Jesus Christ, the 33 and a half years that he was on the earth, did no sin. He didn't sin once. And here in this portion of Scripture is what he's saying. Who did no sin, neither was guile. There's no craft, there was no deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. That word reviled means to be a railer to be one that's, that's uh, speaking out against uh, Jesus Christ, to, to heap up abuse and rail. That's this idea. Hey, when they were abusive to him, he did not do it back to them. When he was reviled, reviled not again. 
When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Hey, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the centurion watching Jesus Christ while all of this is going on. Folks, may I share with you that Jesus Christ, who lives inside us, needs to be reflected in our life when, when people come with times of reviling us. When people come and try to wound us and, and, and make us feel bad and, and, and try to destroy us and try to tear us down and, and say all evil, all manner of evil against you. How do you respond? I've heard some say, well, you know what? You've got to stand up for yourself and you better just give it back to them. God says, well, let me tell you something. We have an example to follow. And that's Jesus Christ. You know, you could spend all your life putting out all the little fires of everybody that says something about you, especially with social media. Social media, you know, one person doesn't like you, so then that goes out, and now you've got thousands of people that might not like you. And you say, well, I'm going to straighten all these things out. You're going to spend your whole life doing, running around trying to put out little fires. Hey, why not just live for Jesus and do what's right and let God take care of it? Jesus was that example for us. You say, well, what difference does it make? Well, there was a centurion that was watching a Savior hanging on a cross. I wonder if Jesus would have started coming back and just said, hey, let me tell you about your sins. Started pointing out all your sins and all those secret things that you had that nobody, you thought nobody knew. Well, he was on the cross. He knew the heart of man. He could have exposed it all. But he didn't. Wow. Here's a person who's watching. Can I share with you? There are people that watch you in times of persecution. And you never know. It might lead on how you, how you respond might be the very thing like this centurion to help lead them to Jesus Christ. Notice something else that the centurion saw. He saw when Jesus was thirsty, uh, that there were those who wanted to refuse him a drink. The hatred of people for Jesus. John chapter number 19. Go over there with me if you would. John chapter 19. John chapter number 19 and verse number 28. Remember when Jesus first went up on the cross... They came with him, they said they brought vinegar with him, and he refused it at that point. You say, well, what was it? Well, when they would crucify some, someone, they would have vinegar mixed as, with special uh, mixture that would be put together, and basically it was like knockout drops so that you could endure the pain that you were getting ready to go through. Many people, when they were crucified, never made it to the cross because the scourge people, in fact, they say by the time when they would scourge somebody, they, could, they, could scourge, they would scourge them with a cat of nine tails. They would take and rip their flesh. And by the, they say by the time they did that 22 times, you could take your finger and put it on the back of a person and the muscles would separate and you could see the inner organs. Jesus Christ had already gone through all of that. He had already taken the, the top part of the cross and gone to the cross, was nailed, dropped in, and it's, all of his bones were out of joint. And here in this portion of Scripture now, 
He's been on the cross almost uh, six hours. People say, well, he was only on it, you know, we're Good Friday from 12 until 3. No, 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 no. He went on the third hour of the, of the day, which the day was broken up from 6 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock at night. He went on it at the third hour, which was 9 o'clock. At 12 o'clock, it became dark. And it was dark until 3 in the afternoon. He was on the cross six hours. And how he would survive is that he would, because his, when they were on the cross, remember they nailed his feet and his hands, and in order to get a breath, they would push themselves up and get a breath, and then they would slump down and push themselves up and get a breath and slump themselves down. Do you remember when they would come and they said, you know, the, the, the feast day was the next day? And they said, well, you know, we're going to try to speed this up. So what they would do is they would break the legs of the people. So why would we say, why would they do that? Because they couldn't push themselves up to get a breath and they would die. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And so here the, the centurion's watching. He's watching the hatred. And, and here at this last part of Jesus' life, as we look at this portion of Scripture in, in chapter 19, verse 28, look what it says. It says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. I thirst. Now there was set a, a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Now, you say, well, pastor didn't say, say anything about that there, that somebody stopped it. I'm just trying to help you to put the pieces together. He, he said, I thirst. Here's one that's going to, to take that and to give that to them. Go to Matthew. Go back to Matthew, if you would, chapter 27, and go back to verse 46. Matthew 27 and verse 46. Matthew 27. And verse 46. And about the ninth hour, this is, he's been on there since three, or since nine o'clock in the morning, now it's almost three in the afternoon. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there uh, when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias or Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the rest said, let it be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Hey, don't give him that. The cruelty of people toward Jesus Christ. They saw that. Jesus, may I share with you, was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He had physical needs just like you and I. We, we know that Jesus slept. Remember when he was on the ship there with the disciples and he was out and the, the waves were rolling and Jesus was asleep in the back of the ship. Jesus needed rest. Jesus hungered in Matthew chapter 4 after being on, uh, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and had no food. It says afterward he uh, hungered. He had hunger needs. John chapter 4, at the woman at the well, he sat on the well and he asked the woman of the well, hey, would you give me some water? He was thirsty. Here, once again, he, was, he, had, he experienced thirst. 
You know, mankind can be so cruel. And there are those who weren't willing to give Jesus a drink to quench his thirst. You say, well, what do you think about that, Pastor? What, you know, people that don't want to give Jesus a, uh, a drink of water. I think there's a portion in Scripture that kind of talks about this. Go to Matthew chapter 25, just back a couple of chapters. And Jesus, when he has the, when he has the judgment of the nations, and he separates the sheep, those that are believers, from the goats. And see if this doesn't kind of ring a little bell with you. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. It says, And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all his holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, it's going to be there in Jerusalem, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall say to the sheep on his right hand, uh, excuse me, and he shall set the sheep on the, his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous, notice, that's important, then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer him and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto who? Me. Then shall he say also uh, unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. Notice, and I was what? Thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. Hey, uh, these people on the left hand. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. Jesus points that out here. I think it's important. I think we see that. that same, the attitude of the, Well, you know, he doesn't need anything. They weren't looking for Jesus. They weren't looking to be a blessing. They weren't looking to, to help others in their time of need. Jesus was going to be in his time of need in just a short while after this portion of Scripture. I was a thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, he visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto, thee, unto you, inasmuch as ye have, uh, as ye have not, uh, did it not unto one of the least of these, uh, ye did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Oh, I think when Jesus was on the cross and here's this one person, this young man coming and he had that vinegar and he was trying to give it to Jesus. Why? Because he had compassion. He had a heart for the one who was on the cross and to, to, to really he was a righteous, I think a righteous person trying to get it to, to Jesus. Folks, you know what? If we, are, if we are truly the children of God, our desire ought to be to help others. That's the reason why in our nation we talk about faith-based 
organizations that try to get the gospel out, like the Salvation Army, and people who are in time of need, people that are, that are struggling, people that are having difficult times. We ought to try to do what we can to be a blessing, to be a help to those people. Why? Because Jesus said, when you do it unto the least of these, my brethren, it's just like you're doing it to me, just like this one did it to Jesus on the cross. Jesus has needs. The centurion saw how that when Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile again. He saw the hatred of Jesus, and yet he did not respond the same way. They saw when he was thirsty, he expressed his need, but he didn't say, hey, get that thing up here to me. He just said, I thirst. I want you to submit, or I, I encourage you to consider too that the centurions, uh, when he saw Jesus dismiss his spirit. Look at Luke chapter number 23, verse 46. Luke chapter 23. And this is very important. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 46. Another parallel passage. Let's go back to verse 44. It says, And it was about the sixth hour when there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, it says, And Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. That word yielded up means to send away, to send forth, to dismiss. What Jesus did at, that, at this particular point that the centurion was watching, Jesus said, he had said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It's finished, it's done. And he said, Spirit, be gone. And his spirit left his body. <laughs> Man doesn't have the power to dismiss his spirit from his body. It is God who says when our time is up. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 8. I submit to you that that centurion undoubtedly had seen people die. He was a soldier. He was one that had been selected to be in that position, to be in a position of authority, to, to work with other people and to train them. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8, it says, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. You can't say, Spirit, now you stay in this body. You don't have that power. You do not have that power. Look what it goes on to say. Neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge. That word discharge means a sending away or, or turning loose in that war. You can't say, be loosed, but Jesus did. Neither shall the wickedness deliver those that are given to it. We hear today, a lot of people come to that point of their life, at the end of their life, and they... And they tell the family, and they have the little books 
you know, uh, embrace the light and all these different things that hospice gives out. And they say, now, folks, what you need to do, there's, the people are there laying there, and uh, you need to go and tell them that, that I'm giving you my permission to dismiss your bot, to dismiss your spirit from your body. Like you have any authority to tell them that they can dismiss their, their spirit. They don't even have that power. It's only God. You know, it, it, it really rattles my cage when people uh, read those books and they start believing what the world says. That's worldliness. You know, some of those people don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what the devil talks about, and in some of these different books of embracing the light, they say, well, you know what? When you see that light, you just embrace it and you just let go and, and, and you give in to it. Can I tell you something? The Bible says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. And people without Jesus Christ can see that type of light sometimes. And, they let, and, and they're encouraging them, them, just let go, don't fight it, just let it go. And you know what? They step off into eternity in hell. A child of God has a confidence because we've asked Jesus to be our Savior. We pass from death unto life as we learned this morning. We get an opportunity to go from this. When you breathe your last breath, you know that you're with the Lord Jesus Christ because God's Word has declared it. But folks, when people tell you, well, you can just dismiss your spirit, God says you don't have that authority. But when that centurion watched Jesus who said, it is finished. And he just said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Boom, the spirit was gone. He's watching this. There's something different about that person who's hanging on the cross. He didn't die like anybody else normally dies. He dismissed his spirit. He saw that there was darkness from 12 until 3. Look at verse 45. As we go back to that portion where we were just a moment ago. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. It says, now, from the sixth hour into the ninth, there was darkness over the land unto the ninth hour. You know, some might say, well, that's just a coincidence. <laughs> For three hours, there was darkness. You know, some Bible scholars think that there was an eclipse. There was an eclipse. Barnes points out, he says, this could not have been an eclipse of the sun, for the Passover was celebrated at the time of the full moon, when the moon is opposite to the sun. A thick darkness shutting out the light of the day and the clothing every object with the gloom of midnight was the appropriate drapery for which the world should be clad when the Son of God expired. This darkness was noticed by at least one of the pagan writers, uh, Philogon, a, a Roman astronomer, speaking in the 14th year of the reign of Tiberius, uh, which is supposed to be that 
in which our Savior died, said, The greatest eclipse of the sun that was ever known happened then, for the day was so turned into night that the stars appeared. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, states, The surprise and amazing darkness was designed to stop the mouths of those blasphemers who were railing, or reviling Christ as he hung on the cross. And it should seem that for the present it struck terror, a terror upon them, that though their hearts were, were not changed, yet they were silent and stood doubting what this should mean till after three hours the darkness scattered. And then, as it appears by verse 47 of this portion, like Pharaoh, when the plague was over, they hardened their hearts. You know, we see in the Old Testament when God made darkness upon the Egyptians, darkness so dark that you could feel it. That's pretty dark, and it was that dark like that for three days. Amazing, though, over where Israel was, it was light. Well, how could that be? There's no way that... Can I tell you something? There is nothing that God cannot do. And I believe God made a darkness here for those three hours while our Savior was on the cross. J. Vernon McGee made the following comment of this portion of Scripture. He said, Our Lord was put on the cross at the third hour, which would be nine o'clock in the morning. By twelve noon, man had done all that he could to the Son of God. Then at noon, uh, at the noon hour, darkness settled down, and that cross became an altar on which the Lamb who had taken away the sin of the world was offered. Centurion saw the darkness. He saw Christ. He saw how he responded to those that reviled him. The hatred, yet his sweet spirit. The centurion saw the earthquake. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54. And now when the centurion and when they were that were with him watching Jesus, they saw the earthquake. They saw the earthquake. You know, it's interesting to note that there was an earthquake at the death of Jesus, but there was an earthquake at the resurrection of Jesus as well. Rolled away, the stone was rolled away. There's an earthquake. And the, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those people feared. You know, earthquakes seem to get people's attention, don't they? God's in control. And in 1989, when we were out in California, and the earthquake hit there in, in the Bay Area, it got people's attention. I remember we were sitting there and all of a sudden the house is starting to move. And we were right on that San Andreas Fault uh, over there in that area. And yeah, boy, everything was shaking. And so we ran to, the, we ran to the, the, door, the door jams and stuff like that to stand and see what was going to go on. I mean, things were rocking and rolling and reeling. And then the news came on and it was talking about how that part of the bridges were falling down and, and uh, cars were, you know, were, were just going down and off the, the Bay Bridge and, and they're on the upper level and there's a section gone and there's cars just go boom, right down. It's amazing. On the one bridge that was coming from uh, uh, the uh, Hayward-Berkeley area, uh, sections of the top were falling onto the, sec the, the uh, bridge below and cars were just being smashed. And people could see him as they were looking in their rearview mirror, just seeing the bridge. Could you imagine? 
people on the Golden Gate Bridge, they were talking about, they were driving down the road and the, the bridge has this thing of swaying when it starts to do the earthquake and cars were bouncing from one lane to another lane. That would have been quite a thing. I remember I had to go to the hospital that day and because uh, somebody was having a baby and I got out of the hospital. It was a spooky thing. You'd think there'd be a whole bunch of people there. There was nobody in the lobby. I went in there, the second floor is where they had the, the, uh, the people, the, the nursery part. There was, I walked out of the elevator. There was nobody. I'm thinking, Lord, I know this is not the rapture. I'd be gone. All of a sudden, now we, I started walking into an area. I started seeing people that were there. But it was, people were just, some of them were hunkered down in their homes. They didn't know what was going to happen. This is when they were having the, I think it was the World Series, what they were having over there in, in San Francisco. It's amazing that it didn't just fall into the, the ocean over there. The folks, may I share with you that earthquakes get people's attention. Man tries to explain away why this happens but uh, without the existence of God, but God is the one who's in control of the earthquakes. God uh, shaking the earth reveals His power and might. The Bible says in Psalm 18, verse 6 and 7, In my distress I called upon the Lord and, he, and cried unto my God, and He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry came before Him even unto His ears. Then the earth shook, and trembled, and the foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. 1 Kings 19.11. I mean, he was talking to Elijah there, God was, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and before the Lord, uh, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great uh, and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces. The rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake, but it was His power. What was the effect of the, this earthquake? Well, look at verse number 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was now rent. It was torn in twain from the top to the bottom. Uh, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. They just fell apart. And the graves were open. The graveyard. You know, they used to put people in tombs, and those tombs, the, the stones were rolled away. The, the, they were opened up. May I share with you that Centurion had seen some things which pointed to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. He saw the power of he had seen the life of Jesus. He saw how Jesus responded when people were unkind to him. Jesus didn't respond in like kind. He was kind. Ephesians 4.32 kind of gives us a hint of how we're supposed to respond. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. He watched Jesus during his time of suffering and death. Jesus cared more about others even though he was feeling tremendous pain. Remember the thief on the cross? He was in pain. How do you respond when you're going through suffering? Do you think only about yourself or do you seek to encourage others? He had seen God's hand in circumstances, the darkness, the earthquake. God was sending a message to mankind. Perhaps God is trying to Get your attention through various circumstances of life. Are you listening? 
Perhaps God is telling you it's time to be saved. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Perhaps God is trying to tell you it's time for you to surrender your life to his control. Let me encourage you tonight. Don't turn a deaf ear to Jesus. Listen to him today. Listen to him today. The centurion saw Jesus. He watched Jesus. He watched his life. Folks, tonight, somebody's watching your life. Somebody's watching your life. It might be an unsaved mate. It might be your children that are unsafe. It might be your neighbor. It might be your co-worker. Somebody's watching you. Would your life point people to the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that it would because they would see a reflection of his life in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight, we have seen some exciting things. Lord, I pray that it's spoken to our hearts. Lord, we need to allow others to see Jesus in us. Tonight, as we think about our own life, perhaps because of the way that we've acted, the things that we've said, it hasn't always been a, a good, clear picture of Jesus Christ, but today, Lord, you've spoken to us to make it sharper, to get some things out of our life and to put some things in our life, more of your love, more of your compassion, more of your care, to be more alert to those around us, to their soul, and whether they spend eternity in heaven or hell. Lord, may we be soul conscious. May this church have a burden for souls. I pray, God, tonight that you've spoken to our hearts. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe God has been speaking to you tonight through this message. And you say, Pastor, you know what? I want my life to be such a life that's yielded to Jesus that they can see Jesus when I'm going through these times like he did. And it will point them to the Savior. You say, Pastor, please, I need God's grace. I need His strength. I want His power. I want to yield my life to Him. Please, pray for me that God would work in my life in that way. If you're like that tonight, you say, Pastor, please pray for me. Is there anyone like that tonight? Yes, I see several hands tonight. Amen. If, if we don't demonstrate Jesus Christ to a lost world and show them what it's all about to be a Christian, how are they going to know? You're the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. Dear Father, I pray for these that have raised their hand this evening, and Lord, I pray that you and your mercy and grace would just give them what they need to let their light so shine that men may see their good works and glorify you that's in heaven and lift up your Son, Jesus Christ. May people be drawn to the Savior because of our life. Father, we thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Brother Scott, come lead us in a song of...